As much as I like to fight everyone, yeah, yeah. I'm having a pretty good time here. Why you mad? Why you mad? Why you, Why mad? you mad? Hey, Louisa. Hi, Jake. How's it going? Fantastic. Best week ever. Um, <laughs> we're, we're renaming the show to Best Week Ever. Yeah, we're stealing um, it. I actually had a uh, like real fucked up um, medical experience this like last few months, but this week especially. Really? So yeah, so it was really weird because I was getting like a lot of text messages and DMs from people being like, "Oh, you know, sending love and support. I hope you're okay and you're resting and like." Don't let all this like fighting with trolls online like take over your life. Like very worried about my mental health kind of thing, you know? And it was really nice. I really appreciate it. People should continue to reach out to me because that's always nice. <laughs> but um it was weird because I wasn't like really stressing that shit too much. I was dealing with like this cough thing that I've talked about before in here, which was super funny because one of these trolls I tweeted about it, but one of these trolls literally, like, so they listen to Why You Mad, I guess. Oh, like, <laughs> percentage of our audience is haters. Yeah. And one of them, devastating tweet, devastating own. He just, like, tweets back at me of something. I tweeted something totally unrelated, and he just writes back, why don't you just shut the fuck up and go get that treated and find out what's wrong with your throat or something? And it's like, damn, he got me. Fuck. <laughs> um, so I went, but, like, I don't have insurance, man, so... I already um <clears throat> see. I already did the thing of going to urgent care and in urgent care got like an x-ray and an inhaler and uh, um antibiotics, uh steroids and an uh oh I an x-ray. So that confirmed that I don't like have lumps or anything fucked up in my lungs or anything like that. So then the urgent care doctor was like, Oh well, but if you continue to have the cough after all this all these treatments then you need to go to a specialist right yeah so i fucking like google pulmonologist near me <laughs> because i fucking don't have insurance so it's not like i have a network or anything so i call this co this not company like a mom and pop you know like a local brooklyn doctor who has his own practice and i'm like okay hey i don't have insurance like how much would it cost to go there and they're like it'll be 150 dollars, right so i'm like okay cool i'm gonna bring a credit card because I've, I've already spent like 300 dollars from the urgent care thing you know and i bring a credit card and then when i get there they're like oh we, it's got to be cash for the 150 dollars <laughs> and i was like uh okay and they're like yeah the atm is down around the corner <laughs> and i'm like this oh, is so weird damn, yeah exactly this i was like okay country is so yeah stupid. i'm like literally here because i want to know if i have cancer <laughs> and <laughs> you are just like yeah go to the atm and so then i'm like okay so i go to the atm i get 160 dollars, and i come back <clears throat> and they let me see the doctor the doctor like asked me all the questions and then they're like She's like, you have to get a te two tests, an allergy test, because it could be allergies. Uh, like, they've already determined it's, like, not pneumonia, not COVID, obviously. Um, so they're like, you'll do an allergy test and an asthma test, just to double check that you don't have asthma. And they do one test, and then, like, the secretary lady comes in, and she's like, uh, hold on, so you haven't paid for the tests? <laughs> and I was like... Okay, so I pull out the credit card, and she's like, oh, no, we don't take credit card at all. Like, you have to pay cash for the test. And I was like, okay. Well, I guess like, <laughs> like a yeah, bar? Dude. So then Are I'm you like, at a bar right now? Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, I guess I could go to the ATM, and she's like, 
I'm like, how much are the tests? And she's like, well, this one is 250 and the other one's 275. And he's like, I, I can't even take out that much from the ATM without paying two. Like, are you crazy? Like, what the fuck? And I was like, can you bill me? And she's like, no, we don't do that. So they ended up just giving me one test, right? And literally to my face, just being like, come back for the second test whenever you have the cash. God <laughs> damn, yeah, dude. dude. And the fucked up thing is like, you know, I do have the cash, but I wanted to put it on credit card because I know this is likely to be the beginning of several expenses, you know, to keep figuring out what is wrong with my cough. Because it turns out, obviously, I don't have asthma, but they still charge me $200 to find out whether or not I have asthma. Yeah. And then, Jake, oh, my God. And then I go to the pharmacy to pick up my prescriptions, right? From this trip to the doctor that cost me like $400 or some shit, right? And I get to the pharmacist, and the pharmacist is like, yeah, your prescription is two over-the-counter things <laughs> that I didn't even need a prescription for. And then the third thing is an actual, like, cough medication. Like, the first two things were allergy things. It was like, this bitch fucking uh, was like, you need Flonase and Claritin D. <laughs> you just get that <laughs> out of Walgreens. I could have just gotten that at any point, right? Yeah. And then the actual prescription cough thing, um, it turns out that it's on back order, and so every pharmacist that I talked to was like, well, you just have to like call all the pharmacies that you can and see who has it so that you can go buy it from them because it's on backwards. Man, that's fucked up. Fuck this fucking country, right? Yeah. I know, dude. And then it's so fucked up because like everything they say, like in the commercials and everything, it's like early detection is the key, right? And I'm like talking to a friend today and he's just like, yeah, but early detection is like only for rich people with insurance. How, how would you possibly <laughs> yeah. in this system be able to early detect anything? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I'm on four days of not smoking cigarettes. I've definitely cut down on my weed smoking and I'm eating fucking disgusting. I hate candy, dude. I don't eat sugar. Yeah. And then I've been having to eat sugar just to eat weed. Oh, and I my see. my stomach hurts all the fucking time. <laughs> like, I'm just like, ugh, how do people eat all these gummy bears all the time? This is disgusting. What am I, three? Uh... <laughs> It's terrible, but I'm working yeah. on it. Um, you know what that is, is weed people don't drink as much. So they like crave sugar and they just oh, eat like it? high school, Ugh, so like after school snack type foods. Yeah. Dude, the fucking doctor. And then she was like, you know, because they ask you everything, all the drugs you do or whatever. And then like, ugh, so rude to my face. She's like, you know, you could eat weed. And I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm working on it. And then she's like, and also you should drink less. And I was like, oh, do you think that the that the drinking is contributing to my cough? And she's like, no, but you should drink less. Yeah, they always do that shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I was like, well, obviously, but if I'm going to die of cancer, I need you to tell me because I'm not going to drink less in that case. <laughs> you know, like... I think I'm that, like, time. if they want to be like a such a transactional fucking like a you're taking your car to a fucking chop shop or whatever yeah. they don't get to push the lifestyle stuff on you like you fix my yeah. fucking carburetor that's what i came here for <laughs> you don't inquire into what i use my car for whether it's you know yeah. d illegal drag racing or running drugs or whatever fuck you because this is not a holistic interaction you know well, it's just so messed up, Jake, because, you know, um, back when I did have insurance working for nonprofits and shit, like, I mostly went to things like Mount Sinai, right? So it's like a very, like, it's a corporation, basically, that owns uh, medical outlets or facilities. And, you know, it was impersonal in a lot of fucked up ways, but it was, like, not like this, like, so chaotic. And so, like, I went to a basically, like, a neighborhood brown doctor who's established here and all this stuff. And because they saw me like at the end of the day, right, because I had to work. So I went like at the end of the day and then they're like, well, 
you don't have time to go to the ATM twice. So you can come back tomorrow or like the next time, right? When you can get the cash. And I was like, so does that mean that I have to pay $150 again just to see you and then pay the $275 for the allergy test? And she's like, yeah, <laughs> like to my face. So it's like, uh, it's a $150 fee or tax on top of every time I have to go see you. Like, they fuck you whether you have insurance or not. And it's supposed to be this, like, neighborhood person that, I don't know, gives you more personal care and whatever the fuck. No, you just got personally fucked the same way I got fucking corporate fucked with the other thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So, I don't know. I don't know. Uh. So, that's what I've been going through, actually, this week. And then also, you know, a few trolls. I mean... <laughs> Right. <laughs> well, that, that kind of segues into something I wanted to talk about pretty yeah. nicely because uh, so what's going on with me is I'm reading this book called Chasing the Scream. Okay. It's pretty good. Um, it's about the drug war and uh, it's cool. I'm reading it for research for PDA and like, I don't know. I, I, at first, I was a little turned off by it because like what a, for some reason, it's really hard to find a big materialist overview telling of the story of the drug war it, it's everyone who writes about it does these like interviews and they do character studies or whatever or, like you know an entire chapter is about one person and just trying to understand why they're an addict or whatever and it's really fucking weird so i almost put this book down because i was like ah, this guy's doing the thing these are all interesting stories but i need a definitive fucking text on like just statistically when did heroin arrive in what country or whatever yeah. yada yada but he, he totally fucking got me after a while. He turned the whole thing around. It's really good. I highly recommend everyone read this book. There's an audio book I'm listening to. Um, it makes it a lot easier, especially with like, with all the fucking interview stuff or whatever. But, um, man, okay, so it starts off and it's about, like, uh, this guy named Harry Ainslinger, who's, like, basically the father of the drug war in America, or all, honestly around the world. Um, and, and basically what he was, was he was like an FBI agent. And during the 1920s, the FBI was like sort of formed up to essentially fight um, communists and anarchists and all the Red Raid stuff. Um, but the other thing they did was fight... Um, and I say fight, I mean, there was these police, they attacked, you know, uh, uh, bootleggers, right? During mm -hmm. Prohibition. And that's, you know, when you had the era of all the fucking cool mob guys and stuff running liquor and shit like that. And then, um, you know, and then Prohibition ended. Um, and all that organized crime went away because if you don't have, like, if something's not illegal, then there's no need for a black market, right? We don't know this shit. Um, and so because there were no bootleggers to, you know, to fucking arrest after prohibition, uh, this guy basically needed like a new thing. Like he was just like, this is my job. He's just obsessed with it. He's like one of those people who's like personally has a fucking weird Seth Simons vendetta or whatever. I'm just kidding. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like he, so they sort of made a department for him because uh, he was rich. He was related. To, he married into one of the big fucking the Hearsts or one of those big families. I can't remember which one off the top of my head. Um, and so they created this bureau for him to like oversee. Uh, and they basically came up with the idea of, you know, arresting people for being drug addicts or for selling drugs and et cetera, the whole thing. Um because he was really into like eugenics and stuff. And he essentially just thought, you know what? Weak people need to be cold from the herd. And uh, it was also around the same time that 
So, dr- like, cocaine was like, it, you know, it, it wasn't like, it was being refined, and then no one really knew what it was, and it was sort of like a newfangled drug, so it was in, like, Coca-Cola. Like, everybody knows that. Coca-Cola, when it first came out, had cocaine in it, right? But it was because people were just like, oh, a new tonic, and it kind of gives you a little zip when you drink it or whatever. Um, so it was around, and... Well, it was in tonics, so, like, it was sold as a health thing and as a, like, delicious t- treat that makes you feel better, kind of like uh-huh. people with energy drinks now. Yeah. And then also, it was part of medical experimentation. So, right. like, there were, uh, like, hospitals, especially in New York City, I know for a fact, that did, like, they used it as an experimental, like, pain treatment or, like, a post-surgery treatment or to numb an area for treatment. Like, yeah. they well, just tried all kinds of things with it. So, yeah. uh, we did an episode about this on PDA yeah. or whatever, but, like, uh, Sigmund Freud kind of was the reason that that, like, was accelerated really fast because yeah. he was trying to get famous in medicine. And so he really wanted to come up with, with uh, you know, a groundbreaking thing. And they had mm-hmm. figured out that topical cocaine could be used in surgery to numb someone's eyeball when they were doing eye right. surgery before that you just had to bite down on a wallet or whatever Ew, and they cut your yeah. eye off it's crazy right so that was yeah. a huge like breakthrough and it's still to this day when you get novocaine like when you go to the dentist that's the same thing that's all that is yeah. um but they you know it's, a, it's slightly re re refined or whatever into a different chemical but um that you know that was the big medical breakthrough but then after that freud went crazy and he kept because he kind of got his name attached to cocaine, but his friend, his friend that he was like, they worked on the experiment together, got most of the name recognition from it. So Freud was like, okay, well, I'm going to con- find another thing that this magical fucking newfangled drug I found does. And he went like, he just, he fuck killed so many people with like shoving cocaine into different orifices yeah. during surgery and stuff like that. Um, and so it started to go around in medicine and, you know, and eventually, um, you know, eventually you started to see poor people using it recreationally and getting kind of hooked on it. And so, like, um, the, the entire American police force increased their caliber of bullets that they use at one point from, like, I can't remember, like, fucking 22 to whatever. I don't know. I'm a gun guy. I don't know the exact. Nine, I think it's nine millimeter now, isn't it? I don't know. I mean, it also, I think after that, it increased yeah. again or whatever. But the reason oh, okay. it increased the first time was because there was this myth about black men, which is that if a black man is high on cocaine, you can unload an entire clip in him and he won't die. Like, every cop had, like, an yeah. urban legend. Oh, my friend, he fucking got stabbed by the... He sh- kept shooting him, but the cocaine just made him crazy. So there's this cocaine Negro myth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, obviously, this is like, a racist myth and it was you know i mean it, people were doing drugs but it was because they were poor and you know everyone was doing drugs but not you know, only poor people are the targets of the drug war and stuff like that stuff we all know yeah. right well anyway it's a really interesting book and uh so he talks about uh the first thing he talks about is he talks about the story of basically harry ainslinger like killed billy holiday the jazz singer she wrote the song strange fruit which is a, like, this very haunting jazz song about um strange fruit refers to like a man hanging by a noose from a lynched, tree. Yeah. Lynched men. Yeah. yeah. It's so fucking spooky, right? Uh, so she yeah. was a heroin addict because she had been like raped and shit growing up. And, um, you know, she couldn't just like, you know, it's this long tragic story of, of eventually just, you know, using heroin to escape from all this stuff. So he like, Harry Ainslinger like, like chased after her, had agents like assigned to her and stuff because he thought she was glorifying heroin and all this crazy shit. I mean, they fucking killed her, essentially, you know, it's, it's haunting. And so the first half of the book, he sort of talks about how um, with addicts, there's this thing where about statistically about two thirds of addicts have some sort of trauma in their childhood that 
creates a need for you to self-medicate. And that's why some people can use drugs and they don't get hooked on them and other people can use them. And it's like, oh, now you've developed this relationship with this thing where it becomes medicine. Right. And the second thing that he talks about, this is fucking really interesting, is that, okay, so there's two experiments in uh, addiction science um, that are like big, big, what do you call them, like landmark experiments. Uh, really more the first one. Though. The second one got buried. So the first one is when they were studying the addictive nature of cocaine, they had this test with his rat and you put the rat in a cage and you would give him like a, a water bottle with water and then another one with um, a little bit of coke in it. And you'd have to press a little bar to get the coke water. And the first time you press it, you get the water. <laughs> the second time you press it, you have to press it twice and then it gives you yeah. the coke water. And then the third time you press it, you have to press it three times. So it becomes increasingly harder to get the drug. You have to do more work. And they were like, let's see when he eventually gives up and goes, okay, this is too much work to get this drug. And they had to <laughs> stop the experiment because it got into like 13,000 presses. He was just still going and going and going, right? I was going to say, I know people who have like done coke off of the back of a toilet in a public <laughs> bar. Yeah, you do. Like, and that is the equivalent of fucking... 13,000 presses on the fucking <laughs> I mean, you're talking to one of them, man. I, yeah, you yeah, disgusting motherfucker. I know. It's, no. it's, I, uh, Blake always fucking, he saved the picture in his phone of this floor that I did coke that fell on one Oh, time. I remember that. No. <laughs> so, okay. You so, are the 13,000 push rat. Yeah, I'm the rat. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Anyway, for a long time, that became like the basis for cops, right? Fighting the drug yeah. war to be like, look, we have to rid the planet of this fucking scourge. Like it's it. Look what it does. It's, it takes over your brain is essentially what yeah. cops say. And what's interesting about that is that it's you know true to an extent. But like there's this other thing like the, the, their method of solving the problem is all oh, just fucking eradicate it and anyone yeah. involved in it also if you are using it we're gonna like punish you and make your life worse that way you'll be like pavlovianly whatever behaviorally misdirected from using it right which is stupid it doesn't, doesn't work, work. Yeah. if you make someone's life worse they're more prone to addiction because addiction yeah. is the thing that they use to self-medicate right so the second thing that happened this is really interesting somebody came along some doctor and he was like Okay, the problem with the rat experiment is that there's a factor you didn't take into account, which is that rats don't live alone. So you put a rat alone in a cage with nothing but cocaine. Of course, they're, you know, they're going to use the cocaine. So they ran a second experiment where they ran the same thing as a control. And then as the variable experiment, they made this thing called rat park. So rat park is like <laughs> a communal like cage that a bunch of rats live in together. Yeah. And there's like a little water fountain and like a cool. fucking, you know, it's like, like Maria Hernandez park or some shit like that. Yeah. It's like, you know, prospect park or whatever. It's like shit to do wheels to run on and stuff the rats hang out and they put one water bottle in it that's normal and one that had the cocaine and the fucking thing where you press it or whatever and so that the ex expectation was well cocaine's really addictive i bet all these rats are gonna get addicted we'll to cocaine right here yeah but it what actually happened and shit. yeah <laughs> but what actually happened is they used a moderate amount of the cocaine water. They just partied, mm. dude. They just hung out and like, like me yeah, yeah. Like, like people can with drugs, that right? shit. yeah so the finding, the basically the hypothesis or whatever, the conclusion, I guess, uh, I'm using misusing seventh grade science terms, but uh, people get it. the conclusion that this guy came to was 
Um, there's a second aspect to addiction that we don't talk about, which is that it's social. And what that means is that he basically thinks that humans have an ability, an innate ability to bond. And we've developed it with each other because, you know, we're a social species. We came from villages and hunter-gatherer shit and all this stuff. And we hunted out a pack and yada, 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 right? So... He uses this term for modernity where he says we've been dislocated from that, which is as socialists, you know, I often use the term like atomized or whatever the fuck. There's a million different terms for this thing. We're all mm-hmm. abstracted away from the way we used to live. And so as a way of replacing that, hey, Murray, as a way of replacing that, um, you know, we he, he's describing addiction and he's saying what's interesting about it is that you can replace that bonding with anything and that's kind of what addiction is is like if you can't get it from other people you get it from liquor or coke or, or pornography or gambling like you can get addicted to things that aren't chemical is the kind of the point he's trying to make when he's talking to the cops yeah. in this book because they're like it's a chemical and he's like no it's a largely social thing right um and so there's another interesting experiment he talks about is a when uh, when americans were at war in in fucking vietnam when you know all that shit was happening uh American soldiers would use opium and heroin because uh, they started off smoking weed like in all those movies and shit. But what happened eventually is that the U.S. military used drug dogs to catch people who were smoking weed. But the dro- dogs yeah. couldn't catch heroin. So all <laughs> these guys started shooting up because it's in high supply in Vietnam. And so medicine assumed like when the Vietnam War is over and all these fucking guys come back, we're going to have like a junkie problem like no one has ever seen in America. Right. But it didn't happen. Like, there were most of the guys that came back. Oh, because it was situational? Well, yeah, because most of the guys yeah. who came back came back to, like, a middle-class life in America, right? Mm-hmm. And they, you could just kick heroin, and then you have a weird story. Like, oh, yeah, it's Saigon. I did a rail off a toilet or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, you know, there's, like, the fucking Lieutenant Dan guy stereotype. There were some people whose lives were destroyed, and they became fun. addicts. Yeah. But it was because they yeah. came back, and they had no... No infrastructure and support network or whatever the fuck. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, all of this sort of paints this picture of like, oh, okay. So like an addiction is a thing that you use to replace your natural drive for like cooperation with other people that has been dislocated from like by the way we are just living now by modernity. Right. And I, you know, I just, the reason I bring this up is I think it all comes back down to podcasts and like comedy and stuff like that because like, <laughs> we rule. This podcast rules. <laughs> this podcast is a Sorry. drug. <laughs> like, yeah, no, I just love that we're like, I mean, you surprised me. You surprised me right now that you two made this turn. Okay, so I'm sorry. So this comes down to podcasts. How so? So, you know, I mean, we're fucking Twitter. If you follow us on Twitter, you're seeing all these fucking yeah. stupid people that are like fans of another podcast that yeah. are like, you know, caping on behalf of these other people for us people they've never met or whatever i know what it's like to be addicted to a podcast because i have been and i was thinking about this the other day because like i just made this meme about a fucking if you refer to podcasters by their first names and it obviously pissed a bunch of people off because no one (laughs) no one who's an addict likes to be called an addict right and so (laughs) i think it struck a nerve with people but like i me and uh two friends of mine uh blake the guy i was just talking about with the cocaine floor and uh our friend sun tech uh we used to um all listen to Harmontown. And it was cool for a while because it was a way to facilitate like a conversation. But when we'd hang out, yeah, we'd yeah. just be like, oh man, did you hear the new episode? It was so funny when this thing happened or whatever. But we got really into it. And after a while, we were at like a bar one time and we were doing this thing that I identified where someone was like, oh, and then Dan, did you hear what Dan said to Spencer? But then <laughs> Jeff, and I was like, I stood up and I was like, wait a minute this is mentally fucking ill <laughs> like this is weird <laughs> that we're like talking about these yeah. people 
as if they're like friends with us that we know we, it's people we've never yeah, met you know you're so right but then you know what's so funny is that when i saw your tweet about this like i liked it and then i was like oh but there's like people that i have parasocially connected with in the other direction because they listen to this podcast and then like if they refer to me and my like i refer to them by their first name <laughs> and they refer and so immediately my thought was like if we're equating it to the addiction thing that you're saying I guess I was the person who like does coke for fun sometimes and it's like always ends up well. Yeah. And so then I end up defending or like, okay, mm, you know, Paul Hooper, I told him this once, which I re I think about all the time and I really regret, <laughs> but like <laughs> Paul Hooper is like 40 something, maybe 50. I don't know. He is a great comic, super funny. And he has been sober for like fucking 10, 20 years. I don't know. Right. Yeah. So he was like, a, I am sad that I never got to be his friend when he was a drunk, Jake, because the stories <laughs> of like his how fun he was sound really fucking amazing. Right. But at some point he decided that he was an alcoholic and he needed to stop drinking. And so he stopped drinking. Right. I meet him like 15, 20 years after this. Yeah. And one day we're like in a coffee shop and I just am like, you know, I'm not trying to tell you what to do, but just like if you like decide at a young age that you shouldn't drink and then you like have the willpower to not drink for a very long time, like, you know, your brain changes, like you might be a different person now. So I think I was like basically arguing for the fact that he should try drinking. Oh again, man, you're, you're a great which friend. Which I know, I'm wrong. <laughs> I know. And so then I was like telling him, like, I'm not trying to tell you to drink. I just don't think that, like, you know, as like a teen and an early twenties person, you you make different decisions than you do as a person who's older and he's now responsible and all of that. But I know that it's like extremely irresponsible and wrong of me to say it. So that's what I mean. That when I saw your tweet, <laughs> it was me being like oh but maybe it's not so bad you should try drinking again <laughs> <laughs> well it's because some of them are nice to me <laughs> like, yeah well you know, it's yeah. also like it's weird for me to say this as somebody who makes podcasts and does comedy and stuff because like sometimes i think about this and i'm like man i'm like a drug dealer like i'm like a <laughs> like a death dealer like if i understand this thing within this framework that i think it yeah. is but also like no, I mean, that's also like what all fun kind of is, is like use is a, is the bonding thing is like using yeah. like, I mean, be, like drinking is really fun when you can do it and it doesn't destroy your life, you know? And so like the, yeah. uh, and comedy, I guess my grand theory of all this is that I think comedy is full of dry drunks who like or actually sometimes most of us are just drunk drunks. drunks. Yeah, too, but <laughs> yeah. like but we're using comedy in wet this drunks, way. Can we call us wet drunks? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um the, 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 honestly the most haunting line from this book so far is uh this guy's talking to a crackhead and the crackhead says to him addiction is a disease of loneliness. And when he fucking said that I was like, "Oh my god, dude." that is what's going on with all of this. And I'm like, you know, I, the reason I'm like, I, I know I understand this because I'm like, ki I'm kind of a little bit, I, you know, yeah. I, I kind of walk this line in my life. I think where I look at myself and I'm like, eh, I might have to quit someday. You know, like th this is moving in a direction that isn't good, but I'm okay right now and stuff. But I know, I mean, I know what's going on sometimes with using, you, you know, alcohol and things like that as medicine and stuff like that. And like centering yourself with it. And, I did it last night with this in mind. I just thought I'm going to go to a bar and think about this while I do it. Cause I was thinking about this guy. <laughs> There's this guy who gives lectures about how he's okay, Freud Jr. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go on. There's this guy. Yeah. Um, um, fucking what's his name? Blah, I can't, it's off 
it's like right almost there but um there's this this uh this black professor guy who goes gives lectures about how he like uses heroin and crack and stuff like that because he studies addiction and he's like healthy like he's like i know Mm. what dose i can take and stuff like that and i was like i wonder if you understand it more if you don't get tripped up with this sort of stuff because what i'm using as a fucking as the worst case scenario is the people online who are addicted to our sister podcast who are like you know if you fucking like it's weird if you when these people tweet shit at you if you look at their page the last it's thing they retweeted that. is yeah, the, the three guys that they're having a parasocial relationship yeah. with. And I'm like, okay. It's like all inside jo- they, Jake, they literally put like hashtags in their bio that are like inside jokes to the podcast. Yeah, that you know sucks, I mean? dude. Imagine being a fan of something so much that you put it in the bio of your fucking Twitter. You know what I kept thinking about this week also when I was thinking about this was um so... Oh, you know that QAnon documentary that Frederick was yeah. in. If you watch it, to me, the saddest part of that documentary was that they would interview these QAnon guys, and they would be in relationships, and the white like, their <laughs> girlfriend would be like, "Yeah, no, we got to get Frederick or whatever." Or they'd be like it, pretending to be invested in the stuff. Because it was a way to bond with the guy. With their boyfriend. Like, yeah. I'm reading this. This may not be true, but it looked to me like, okay, like, there's no way. You don't know. Maybe they met in the fucking <laughs> subreddit already because she got there on her own because she was like a hater because she's, you know, give them, give women equal opportunity to be awful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, th- that's true. There's a lot of fucking, three, yeah. there's three dimensions there and there's nuance yeah. and texture and stuff like that because. I just what I, the reason that I'm projecting that onto these women in the QAnon documentary when I watch it is because I have been in relationships where I, looking back retrospectively, I could tell there were moments when I was probably an annoying person to be dating because I was like, and then Dan said this, and then Spencer <laughs> said this, and I'm like, that's weird. But then also, I also like turned people i was dating on to stuff that like yeah. i listened to and now there's one that i stopped listening to but my ex now is full-on pilled about and she's like when yeah. i so we switched and now when i run yeah. into her she's like and then this happened and i'm like i, f- I don't give a fuck like i got yeah. off this thing <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird yeah. <sighs> so i don't know man i mean i also don't know what this means or like what to do about it because really ultimately this has me kind of blackpilled again because like it's it's just he keeps talking about the thing is the guy who wrote this book is not a marxist so he doesn't understand what he's trying to define and he keeps saying it has something to do with the fact that we live in this dislocated way and that the only way that we have to really feel anything is to buy things and we have a situation that keeps and i mean like you're just yeah. you're almost there you're describing the problem but like he doesn't so i, have I the think language. you're okay so listening to you it sounds actually like you came full circle i don't know if you've realized this yet but you to me what you said sounds like it came full circle which is like this conversation was about like how we're dislocated from some kind of like i really hate to say natural or original but like let's just say some kind of past connection to each other as humans right like as like our, our place in humanity and in society and all of that has been dislocated. And now we exist in this space where we're trying to like figure out how to get back to that connection. And for some people, drugs is the way to either feel connected or to numb yourself so that you don't feel like you miss the void of that connection or whatever, you know what I mean? Or you feel the void of that connection. Yeah. But maybe you are right about comparing podcasts to this because for a lot of people, even for me at times, podcasts 
is different from consuming other media in that it is more of a personalized experience because you like went out of your way to find these people and they speak specifically like to, I don't know, your region and your interest and your identity. And you're like, I don't know, it's um, it's more personal than watching a TV show or reading a fucking newspaper or buying things or doing a drug, which is more of a fucking like generalized experience and more of, I think, escapism away from feeling the lack of that connection and that dislocation. Right. Yeah. So that's what's weird is that like I can see how podcasts can be addictive or like this, but it's, I guess it's not even the podcast. It's like you're, you're kind of pointing at the fact that they are getting addicted to the parasocial relationship and that feeling of being connected to something. So it's like almost like the parasocial relationship resolves the dislocation, right? Because it provides you a location well, to yeah. exist in, in space and time. I forgot there's one more part of this. Um, yeah. and I think about that. This, this is relevant totally, which yeah. is that... Um, so remember what I said earlier about, oh, Billie Holiday had the traumatic childhood and all this stuff, and then she kind of openly was like, yeah, I'm using heroin because I'm in all this pain or whatever. So the thing that really fucking jumped out at me when I was reading this is he was talking about like this question of why are some people more susceptible to addiction than others? And basically the way he sketches it out in the book, his theory is that when you have people that are like traumatized in some way in their like development, you know, like when you're a kid or whatever, you're kind of forever like scarred in this way. And what it does specifically is it makes you not trust other people. And so it makes social stuff very like anxious. And so that creates a situation where people that are like social butterflies, I guess, under this framework, he'd say like, Oh, you don't you, like, you're not, you don't need to escape and go to a bar alone or something like that. Um, but like, if you kind of have this paranoia and you're not naturally inclined to bond with other people, you still have the drive for the bond, but your body is telling you like to be wary of other people. And that's when yeah. you're, you're, uh, motivated to go bond with like the drug or whatever elsewhere or whatever thing you end up getting addicted to or whatever. And I thought like, man, when I, when I was reading, when I was reading that, I was like, thinking about it in my own life and i was like oh okay this is why this fucking rings true to me because i could i can relate to that i think like i i don't trust other people people are trying to dox me and shit all the time you know i'm like you know but so <laughs> let me ask you this doesn't that make drugs and podcasts good well that's the thing is there such a thing as a good drug because like yeah maybe maybe looking like that guy like that professor you know he's saying like yeah you can do this yeah. responsibly because we're also living it dislocatedly like in a world that is yeah. devoid of like this problem only gets solved you know after the fucking socialist revolution really in a way where you're mm -hmm. then like oh i don't need drugs anymore i don't need jokes anymore you know i don't need all of these things that bring me like joy as a as a substitute for this other thing because now we're living in so the way you don't think we want joy once we're fucking healthy no i, I don't we no, no, no 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 i i what yeah. i'm saying is i don't think you need as much cope like I th okay, gotcha. Th I think that like you're less so you. I think also like the the stuff that you're consuming would be less deranged. Like people yeah. that are really into like cringe, you know, like like cringe reels and stuff like that that are like deep deep into like eight chan and four chan and stuff like that that watch like hard you know core weird shit to get a fucking rise. I think those people are like 
deeply sick is the problem. They're like very, they're in a lot of pain. And so they're watching this like demented fucking thing. Whereas like probably somebody who's like, isn't in that much pain could just watch like John Mulaney or something like that and have a pretty good time and like have, you know, that be their relationship with like comedy. And I, that is not to, to, I, I, I say this as a person with a sick sense of humor. Like I like, yeah. I think that's where it comes from within me and it's fine. And there's no judgment. It's, it's a, it's especially and this is especially a non-judgment because I think it's an explanation that maybe even makes you here's what I'm saying yeah. when okay. I when I'm dealing with the people that troll us sometimes I honestly look at them and I'm like you are in a lot of fucking pain and that's why you feel yeah. the need to like to, to try to be part of this thing that is you know all I said trying to kill me and stuff totally but like, agree. <laughs> you know? no I totally agree with you but you know what actually happens to be like I was thinking about honestly like why Seth Simons annoys me, <laughs> right? <laughs> and it is because he um, has, like, a intention, which is to try to fix comedy, right? Yeah. That's however you want to frame that. And honestly, Jake, my intention is not to fix comedy. My intention is to, I mean, like, exist within it and comment and how it is and whatever, right? Yes. Yeah, so I... Uh, what's, what's interesting to me about like addicts, whether it's of drugs, like it's hard to say because, you know, obviously socioeconomic things, when you say the drug thing led to this person's or like contribute to a person's bad choices that lead them to like die young from an overdose and, you know, horrible things like that, or like, uh, put themselves in precarious situations to get the money to get drugs, all of that shit. Right. But when we're talking about like the podcast level of addiction. So with the podcast kind of addiction, we have to assume that this person is safe somewhere, right? Like they're in a basement <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> yeah, the safest place uh, you can be. Their parents' basement, probably, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, you know, like they're probably not exposing themselves to danger and STDs and abuse and, and murder to try to get money to be on the internet <laughs> and listen to podcasts. They are probably not putting other people around them in danger or stealing from them to listen to podcasts. And they're probably not going to die young from listening to podcasts, right? We don't know that so yet. We have, right. Well, maybe. <laughs> we but we have not. to assume that they're like that mid-level user that maintains, right? That like is functional and keeps a job and does all the things. And maybe this mid-level drug user, you know, they have a 40-hour-a-week job and they do the job and they're the weirdo at their job and they don't make friends at their job. And so they come home every day. And their friends are on 4chan and they listen to Legion of Skanks and fucking Compound Media and whatever the fuck. And to me, this is why I don't want to cancel them, Jake, is because I don't have a problem with you fucking weirdos finding someone that fills your time, yeah. that makes you feel joy, that makes you feel fucking heard for once. Like, I think everybody on Earth deserves that, right? The problem only comes in when... You fucking people are not happy with just having a group that makes you feel heard and loved and part of a thing. You have to manifest that into violence. You have to manifest that into hate. You actively contribute both the host and the fucking audience. You actively contribute to negative fucking shit politically, socially, just like putting toxic shit into the atmosphere. No. So that is completely different than you just being like a weird ayahuasca weirdo who wants to live on a fucking compound and do your fucking weird shit that's your drug. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I actually want to support 
them and their ability to have their like i hope they all move to texas and live on a compound together <laughs> and have fucking comedy shows every weekend and do their fucking thing dude yeah why do you have to fight other people about it? why do you have to be angry and attack other people and be anti-trans and fucking tweet about fucking racist shit to, at people you know like yeah what are, what well are you doing? so yeah to and to be clear like people yeah. people keep asking like what's the goal in all this and like um you know or somebody will dm me and they'll be like here's uh you know i'm a lawyer and here's an abstract legal argument for how you yeah. can get lewis and it's like i'm not trying to get these people i don't, I don't give, give a fuck, a fuck. Yeah. like I, what what you're operating on is the premise that they are putting out there that what we're trying to yeah. do is fucking cancel them or whatever right yes. all you and i are doing is expressing a fucking opinion and uh, you know yeah. to some extent with lewis is like in the abusive stuff i will go yeah you shouldn't fucking put people like this into communities where people are fucking yeah. could be attacked by him or whatever. That that's a, a yeah. degree to which maybe sure, but like you know, as far as the comedy goes and stuff, I'm an edge lord. Like I'll fucking call you a whatever. Yeah, you know, like I this is not what's yeah. going on. So the problem the problem I have with Seth Simons is that he does not have, do enough. You know, and I like I <laughs> Sorry, agree. Seth. I agree with the guy a lot, but like yeah, it's weird yeah. because people tweeted us and they say like you know oh you and Louisa and Seth and it's like I don't we don't know him. And like wait we don't hang out with Seth. Yeah. What's happening right? Now? And also like you know you and I are individual of each other. We're not a yeah. fucking. This is not a movement. This is not a fucking team mm -hmm. or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> um. But but the but the problem is, what's going on? I think with like the Legion of Skanks is that they are using, and I, this is not on purpose. This is just a naturally occurring thing in a dislocated, atomized society. I think that doesn't have an answer that is positive, like you know, solidarity and etc. Is what what they're motivated by is the same shit that this is why I call them Nazis. This is why we call them. It's, it's yeah. the same shit that the Nazis did. And it's the same shit that fucking racists do and the clan, and what's, everybody, what's bringing them a, together is hate. And it's a scapegoat. And yeah. the, the, what, what happens mathematically with a fucking Seth Simons in the abstract and a crowd like the Legion of Skanks is they operate on the premise that this person is coming to cancel them and he is mm -hmm. simultaneously pathetic and also an existential threat. And so that puts yeah. people like the Skanks in a constant state of being like heroically overcoming this threat to them. Yeah. And then their fans get to cheer them on and go, look, he's, he, beat him again and he it's like a tv show when they Sounds do battle super familiar jake every, my, all my mentions for 10 days have been like you stupid fucking bitch cunt nobody cares about your opinion you don't even matter can you please fucking stop tweeting about my guy yeah if you don't matter <laughs> then why <laughs> why are you so worried about it yeah and dudes being like uh, i had one guy tweet at me being today straight up he added lewis and he was like lewis why don't you fuck this bitch she obviously wants your dick uh you brought her into our world you need to take her out yeah. yeah, and I'm just like, bitch, you literally searched out my tweet to reply to my tweet with this shit. Lewis <laughs> brought you into my world, you dumb motherfucker. What are you even doing here? My favorite contradiction of this week is that people will say that you're like a fat, like you're like a trans woman and you're ugly. <laughs> and also that I'm in love with you and that I am uh, friend zoned by you. And I, but I'm like, I thought she was a fat, ugly bitch. <laughs> like, you know, like, what the fuck? How's that work? My my favorite is uh, that I am a comic that's not that funny. Right. And I have failed to be as successful as Legion of Skinks. <laughs> and Let's therefore, see. I'm very jealous that I didn't get booked. And that's why I'm trying to cancel them. 
So that's like the go-to framing yeah. of anyone that would criticize a fucking racist or a fucking shithead or whatever, right? And so when they use it on you, not knowing that you're not actually a comic, it exposes that that's not a thing that they actually have deduced. It's a thing that they like. They, they're you Parrot. know, it's a, it's a tool. Yeah, they parrot it totally. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I like Seth Fine. I think he does a lot of good work. I think that piece he put out was great. But totally, I need yeah. like I think he needs to do a better job at. Uh, making it clear that he's not canceling anyone he's reporting and reporting is nothing but information and then that's yeah. fr- everyone's free to fucking do whatever they want with that i don't honestly give a fuck like because to me i think i understand the whole picture here this shit doesn't go away until society at large starts to heal this is a symptom of other stuff so totally. like but let me defend Seth for a second, which is to say, like, um, I do understand being a person who reports on something and not being, uh, not being like, I can't pick a side on here. Because when you report on something, you could be like, I obviously think there's a right side and a wrong side here. And I think that's what he does. But I think what he misses is that the entire culture of comedy is kind of both sidesy, right? Like the whole fucking, narrative behind comedy is that comedians supposedly are these philosophers who consider both sides this is my problem with it no hold on this is my problem with it because i do think that comedians are people who consider both sides but it used to be that comedians were people who considered both sides and then they fucking picked a side and made a statement right and now comedians for in large part do this thing where they're like uh, look at me, I'm playing both sides. You can't tell whether I mean this thing or this thing. And it's like, that's not fucking funny. That's not you being a person who has insight into anything. It's you being a fucking fence-sitting pussy. Right. I think that what comedians think they're doing is like dialectical, like coming yeah. to a third new transcendent conclusion. And they're not though. But it's like, <laughs> yeah. but the conclusion is always mysteriously, just coincidentally, the one that keeps them from getting in any trouble or losing any money. And it's like, well, no, you're just, what you're doing is being a pussy, but you're like, yeah, you think you're doing like, you know, the fucking philosopher stuff that like, you know, Colin Quinn does when he goes, you know, I'm not here to be agreed with and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I tweeted that the other day and all these people were like, boo. And I was like, Colin Quinn. <laughs> Colin, Colin Quinn. Quinn it's not, not me. <laughs> uh, what are you gonna do? Uh, it is super funny. I did think that, like, you know, every time when I like, I had multiple dude, even comedians and fans tweet at me being like, "Why don't you run your own shows then?" If you know, <laughs> and like, uh, <laughs> what was the other thing? Just being like, oh, you obviously don't know anything about how comedy works, and assuming that I've like never worked at a festival, and I just took so much pleasure retweeting them, just being like. Let me show everybody, like, what kind of knowledgeable fan base. Do you know what I mean? Like, there is this conversation that should be had about quantity versus quality, right? And I'm sure you ran into this with these people was that, like, very often they're capitalists. You know what I mean? So, like, very often the tweets that I get from them are like, oh, my God, look, your podcast doesn't make as much money as this other podcast. And I'm like, yeah, but you think that's an own? (laughs) And I'm like, I don't do a podcast to make money. I do a podcast to express myself and have conversations with people that contribute to my worldview <laughs> growing and expanding, you know, like, yeah, 
Well, if, what are you talking about? If yeah. we, if tomorrow we had an insane influx of followers and patrons, and suddenly we were making ten times as much money as the Legion of Skanks, you know what they would say is, uh, "Oh, they only make that much because they're pandering to the woke crowd and all this stuff." So, like, shit. it's it, yeah. none of this stuff is consistent. Yeah. It's cope. It's fucking cope. Yeah. It's just ways to to, to ways to Absolutely. honestly. It's, it's this is why I keep coming back to this addict thing or whatever because it's yeah. like. You know, addicts have bias. When you talk to them, they they have very sneaky brains that'll come up with any explanation as to why it's good that they're yeah. addicted to their fucking thing. You know, um, yeah. And I guess it just comes back around to me that to like I can't hate anybody addicted to anything. Like I think you should cope however you need to cope, except it should not cross over to abusing another person. Well, I think that's what the reactionary mind is, is is addicted to this fucking scapegoat explanation yeah. of why that, that, that becomes an explanation of why you're in the amount of pain that you're in. And you engage yeah. in a thing that, you know, that kind of quells the pain a little bit. And like on some level, like, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not anti, you know, most people, when I see an addict, I feel bad for them, but I, I do think that, that, that is also an explanation for like racism and sexism and trans and, and just the entire reactionary kind of makeup of like scapegoating this left or whatever or wokeness and yeah. all this shit as coming to get you. And on some level, I do, I think that's bad, but I think it's also the person is like sick. Like there's some level of which yeah. you could look at a Nazi and go, you're not actually Hitler. You're just somebody who got grifted by him. And so yeah, you maybe yeah. could be deprogrammed and like you could eventually, it does happen. I, there's people on the left that are like used to be, you know, completely. Yes, like but this. isn't it weird to have empathy for a person who doesn't have any empathy for anyone else? Yeah, I know. Well, that's why most people don't do like, it. Right. And that's the problem that I'm coming up against is like, um, you know, honestly, Jake, like, the comment that I made about Skankfest that started all of this was that I just said that the lineup was predictable, right? And all I meant by that was all of the people who announced Lucy, be quiet. <laughs> Both of our kids. Yeah, she's like, I hate Skankfest. <laughs> uh, all of the people who like announced that the they Puerto were doing Rican Skankfest. Snake. Yeah, they like, you know, it wasn't surprising in the sense of like, I know that you guys are friends with the organizers or you already do gas digital stuff like you're already like literally you already did this fest in the past you know what i mean like that's what i meant by predictable in no way did i did i mean like your comedy individually is predictable or your bad comics or anything like that but okay like when i uh the original thing that started all this was that i said that the Skankfest lineup was predictable which by which i did not mean anything about like the comics comedy being predictable or not being good but i just meant like the people who agreed to do the festival right because they had connections of being friends with the organizers and um having access to something like you know either Okay, honestly, Skankfest breaks down to, like, famous people who are friends with the organizers, so they say yes, and not famous people who don't really get booked anywhere else, so they're dying to do a festival, so they love the fact that they get included in Skankfest, right? Yeah. And to me, that's predictable because there's no, like, I just meant there's no surprises on this lineup. There's nobody here who, like, I'm like, oh, shit, can't believe they're doing <laughs> Skankfest, right? And... I bring this up because of the deprogram thing that you brought up because like, I mean, whatever, this was public. So like DeRosa wrote back to me and 
I don't mean to single him out in any way and whatever. Nobody tweeted him and annoy him. But you know about the DeRosa and Kumia thing that happened? Yeah, but you should tell the podcast audience because it's funny. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, don't make fun of him. I feel bad. He made fun of me. What the fuck him? <laughs> I don't I know. know. That guy. And and he fucking now I know. And he was my friend or is my, I don't know. Hey, my and friend. He, I don't tell know, your friend to took, fuck off. What do you mean? <laughs> this know, is you rules. This ain't me rules. I know, but Derosa. I don't know. And then maybe like whatever. This is like a quick version. But basically, he got in a fight with Kumia a few years ago. Anthony Kumia of uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, Opie and Anthony. Yeah. Right? And um, Kumia, who we all know now, is like super racist. He runs compa- Compound Media. He's been in jail for like beating up a black woman. Like he he fucking sucks, right? And at some point, Joe. And Kumia got in an argument and Joe called him out for being a racist and all of this shit. And Kumia and Compound Media have a similar um, audience to Legion of Skanks, right? It overlaps a lot. Like, I didn't start a fight with Compound Media. I started a fight with Legion of Skanks. And then suddenly I still had Compound Media dudes in my shit, right? Yeah. And what happened was that Joe had a book coming out around this time and you know, he's a comic and you guys do have public links and fucking, you have to care about your public persona and how it's being affected. So all these compound media, uh, Anthony Kumia fans attacked Joe and started like, they tanked his book reviews. They fucking just like went on everything and fucked up everything. His podcast reviews, all this shit. So Joe ended up apologizing to Kumia about the and like they like mended bridges or whatever the fuck basically because he got bullied into it i know know what i mean (laughs) i know it's hilarious i know and so this is just so weird because to me joe standing up for like joe i guess basically saw me tweeting about what's been happening with lewis and he took offense to the fact that I called the lineup predictable because he took it as like that's an insult to the comics performing on this on this fucking festival. No, it was a booker insult. You're a booker. Right. I'm a booker and I'm insulting the bookers. Exactly. And he took it personally and he went out and he like wrote a thing and he responded to my thing defending and whatever. And all I could think was just like, dude, you like I could only think with empathy jake was like you are a person who's been in my position being attacked by all of these people because you expressed your real opinion all these people who supposedly give a fuck about free speech and about uh, whatever everybody gets to say what they want but here you are trying to cancel me whatever the fuck. you should understand that you are like me you're on my side but instead you are somehow now invested in and and like honestly this isn't a call out i would talk to you on in text or phone on this joe but like you're the perfect example sorry but you you should understand that you're on my side instead of being invested in like my favorite word reifying the status quo because you already folded to the status quo in the past so it seems like now you are invested in like Everyone else should also fold to the status quo because that's what people do who are smart, who like <laughs> want to continue to exist. And it's like, you know what? Fuck it. Even I'll be honest with you, even like the the comics who have DM'd me and texted me being like, I've gotten into this kind of fight with Legion of Skanks before, but then I like stopped because it's so much. How can you do it? Honestly, I understand it being too much, but also you're a pussy. <laughs> like, yeah. 
I'm going to do it then. I will have the fight until I make sure that everybody sees what kind of people tweet at you and what kind of audience this this is. I will be more hard-headed than Lewis. I will not fucking bow down and be like, for the third time, I'm now just going to be like, yeah, sure, you can push me, you can spit on me, you can disrespect my show, you can disrespect my friend and the uh, comic that I booked on my show, and I'm just going to fucking pretend it's fine? No, I don't make money from you, I'm not fucking you, like, I'm not, there's it, no reason why I should pretend this is okay. If 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 you're, if you're really another comic and you see someone like yeah. Louisa or someone like me going against people and you agree with them, you need to support that person because if your advice to them is you need to stop doing this or you pull like a fucking DeRosa thing where you're like, I gave in, therefore ga- giving in is, like, yeah. you know, the good thing to do. That's you know what that reminds me of is Elliot Kazan and his whole thing yeah. where he was like, oh, it's good to be a narc. It's narc shit. It's like little yeah. fucking school hall monitor cop shit where you suck up to the boss, right? And like, yeah. I, it, you're not functionally helping either way. You're just like, projecting your own guilt over like watching someone do the thing that you know is right and then not being able to stomach it. Because if any, anybody yeah. could stomach any of this stuff, they would just leave us alone. Like it would be boring. You know what I mean? But it's yeah. clearly calling people's guilty consciences out yeah and i just um i guess i'm conflicted because i keep looking at them with empathy right of like almost like i understand why you're like brainwashed you know (laughs) like i i don't hate them jake like i don't know how to explain it like even like seth and like you know obviously the way they've treated you and like lots of things like that make me think like I should be blacklisting and like cutting off these people, but I don't hate them because to me, I do just see them with empathy as like capitalism and patriarchy and comedy. And like so many things have forced you to think that you have to be this way and behave this way. But my conflict right now is that they are showing me they don't have that empathy for me. They're showing me that they are turning around being like, you're not one of us. If somebody like Lewis, who we don't even respect as a stand-up comic can treat you this way and we're not even going to stand up for you or like act like it. No, I'm seeing that you don't have that empathy for me and you don't have that respect for me as a person to like consider where I'm coming from and what things might be like weird to you, but like you understand why am I, why am I having that consideration for them? I guess. Yeah. Well, like I don't want to cancel you, but I'm really realizing that maybe I shouldn't be supporting you either. Yeah. I mean, that's what it is. Like people are, cowardly like comics like middle ground people in this situation are cowardly in a way where they think they can i think a lot of times not chime in say oh i like all of those people i've got no dog in this fight but that is you de facto ending our friendship like me and that person because like you know they'll kind of come back at you and go Oh, well, you just, you ended our friendship. It's like, no, you did. When you You decide not to support somebody on like a basic human level, you have told them that you don't care about them and you would step over their fucking body for drink tickets and shit. Jake, think about this. I've known Dan Soder for like 10 years and I've only, I've only done anything, like I've done nothing but support him. And Jay Okerson got on, they have a radio show on XM Radio called The Bonfire. And earlier this week, Jay got on the show and he called me a dumb bitch and he like claimed that I was trying to cancel them and ruin their livelihoods and their reputations and all this shit, calling me names. And then Dan just went, well, I have no horse in this race. I'm not going to get involved and whatever. But that's literally 
two comics who have TV credits, <laughs> who have like more than 10 times the amount of followers that I have on huge platforms, just being like, well, I don't know what I can do about my friend attacking a person who supported me and him for the last 10 or 12 years right. and has and is like a tiny platform compared to us. Nothing I can do to help this situation. <laughs> I was like, no, actually, there is something you could do, but you chose not to do it. So um, are we friends? No. This no hate against Dan, but it's pretty clear you're not my friend. Right. This goes back to this fucking uh, labor argument I want to get into, which is that uh, the reason Skankfest like, took off is because it was a reaction to another fest that was neoliberal in nature and was, mm -hmm. you know, not good. Like, I don't like liberal shit. I, I got to make this clear on this podcast sometimes because we have a lot of liberal fans who I think think that we are the same as them. I like them. Yeah. Uh -uh. No, no. I don't like fucking <laughs> nope. Nazis. I don't like liberals. I don't like either of those things because they're two sides of the capitalist coin um you know just because we agree on social issues does not mean we agree on how to get there which is the important part so like uh with with what Skankfest did i was reading some of its early like press and i was like man there's a reason this spoke to so many comedians i think because like comedy festivals were for rich kids and that you had yeah. to apply to get in and they, they cost money and they would also if you were white and you were broke they would tell you oh you're you're oppressing me somehow and it's like no you're talking to fucking long island trash you're talking to middle class and lower class white kids who are you know they don't have a leg up they don't have an easy you know time in society and you're boxing them out and it's insulting when you watch like a fucking like an alt comedy lineup where it's like oh well, it's like diverse in really, like really specific ways like gender and race <laughs> but everyone went to like a really expensive college and you're like no this is not diverse this Ouch, is way to roast me jake i'm dude i'm sorry I, no one gets out alive but like uh, i know i know fair fair criticism i'm changing my booking style starting in august everybody hold me accountable i think that. after <laughs> having gone through the last four or five years and having a conversation about class in america there should be a token poor person on every alt comedy show <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no but so what i'm getting at is that skankfest offered something and they made you think and not incorrectly that they were a better option for you as a comedian because they said we're not going to charge people um what do you call it fees to a submission fee. submission yeah. fees and uh everyone's going to get paid and those things should happen it's just that the problem is uh this is how fascism fucking comes about is when there's no other option that would there should be a, a non-racist comedy festival that pays people and doesn't charge submission fees because what happened is that i know i know you got a thing and i'll let you get no, to you it go. you finish <laughs> but i have a problem with this whole fucking thing too go. i'm just saying this is what they offered i'm not saying it's what they actually yeah. practiced i'm saying no, this is no. what people you're think. doing a great preface to my thing. <laughs> i know this is what people think they're getting out of it and so yeah. because they've created this situation where they look better and they look like they're inclusive to comedians who got fucking left behind by by the rich other people. festivals yeah exactly. yeah i understand the grift because then essentially yeah. you're involved in this and you need to defend it on the basis that it's actually better for comics but what mm -hmm. what what fucking fascist shit is is another grift because they're not splitting the money equally they're just they're, they're paying you like an extra one or two drink tickets an extra 20 bucks that you should be getting a portion of the fucking festival fuck those people they're getting rich off of you and it's also creating and i think this is going to relate to what you're talking about but like yeah and 
it also they don't it's not literally like democratic they don't watch tapes they don't actually fucking book people they book people that are exactly. friends and so because they created this big fucking growing bubble of people who are their friends and it's not you can't you a you can't get into that festival on the merit of your comedy you have to suck up to them and b you cannot dissent you you're watching all these people do the calculus and go if i state out loud the fact that lewis is an abusive person i will no longer get to work in this thing what is that if not cancel culture that is yeah you've created a fucking you hated fucking liberals so much you created more liberals like this is more bullshit and cancel culture and, and restriction and fucking anti-free speech shit go ahead i know what you i think i know what you're gonna get into well, I had a uh, a famous uh, edgelord. Let's not say famous, but let's say known edgelord. A known edgelord texted me this week, you know, about my controversial tweets and such. And the weird thing was that he did this thing where he was like, I want to bypass the original inciting incident, therefore the assault, right? Right. So then he's well, like... He was there for that. <laughs> Of course, I he wants to buy exactly, it. exactly. So fuck him. But I mean, whatever. Fuck you. You know, you know what I mean. Uh, so he is like the original inciting incident, notwithstanding. What I would like to talk about is the fact that Skinkfest is actually good because it is a uh, pro labor, right? This is the way this guy framed it to me. And was, he was like, "It's a festival that pays all of the comics to perform." And I was like, oh, no, he was like, it pays everyone. And I was like, okay, it absolutely does not pay everyone <laughs> because I was, I showed up invited and they slapped a volunteer fucking uh, badge on me and they made me walk people to the next venue because all the people who were working there is not performers, were volunteers. So nobody got paid to actually run that festival except for the organizers and then they paid the performers. So that doesn't sound to you guys like, oh, beautiful, but that's not actually pro-labor. That's just pro-comic. Yeah. Right? At best, right? And then the next thing is, oh, well, they don't charge um, submission fees. And what they did was that, uh, again, a very funny thing because all I did was criticize the lineup. Turns out, as I was reminded, Skankfest started as a direct response critical response <laughs> to uh brick what's it called cement what's it called cinder cement? block cinder block thank you cinder yeah. block comedy festival which was a festival that the lib thing that jake was referring to is that they did this thing where they were like it costs this much for comics to submit but like one dollar more if you're a man or like a white man i don't know so they were trying to do like a cutesy little joke about how the pay scale is not gender equal right yeah and Lewis got in a fucking hissy fit about this just because it's per he's a performative person who has to do this for his fans. And then that eventually ended up on like, we'll make our own festival where we won't charge comics anything to submit to our festival. So automatically he was like doing this virtue signaling thing of positioning Skankfest as somehow being more virtuous than both Cinderblock and any other festival that charges comics to submit. Okay. As a person who has worked for more than a dozen festivals, Jake, watching submissions, they fucking have to pay me to watch the submission. You understand me? And it's literally, I have had uh, festivals where I get a list of 500 fucking clips to watch that I have to judge and that I actually have to spend all the time watching. So do you not think that my work is worth paying for? I don't know. Let's see. 
So I am not saying that comics should be charged to perform anywhere, but what I'm saying is nobody at Skankfest is watching your tape. <laughs> right? Like, right. yes, you're not paying for it, but also nobody's watching it because if you look at the lineup, as far as I can tell, it's 99% people who have a personal relationship with one of the organizers. Right. When I tweeted about it, I had several people write back to me like, what about this name? What about this name? Invariably, they were people who their connection is not directly to the organizers of Skankfest, but it's to the secret group. Right. Right. So your relationship is to the venue. So I'm sure that the venue has some kind of stipulation about a local showcase and somebody who gets to pick some locals who get to be there. So, again, that is behind the scenes fucking negotiate negotiating. It's not about the tape that you sent that you didn't get charged for. <laughs> you know what I mean? So for them to position themselves as though they're doing this wonderful thing of not screwing comics out of submission money Dude, you're doing the bare minimum of not charging them for not watching a tape that you're not going to book them for. Yeah. So stop pretending like this is like pro labor in some way. Well, and then the next thing I was trying to find out was like a uh, hotel and uh, travel, right? Because it's not in New York City anymore, but a good half of them are New York City comics that are going. And as far as I can tell... It depends on how famous you are and um, whether you have representation, whether you're getting like a hotel and flight or you're just getting a stipend or yeah, you're just very getting, cool. or like a shared room. Hasn't been confirmed. We'll see. But I, I was just very bothered by this one person texting me and trying to like come from this like pro labor angle of defending Skankfest because you're just falling for the propaganda of Skankfest. Yeah. You're not actually looking behind the scenes at what's happening because there's nobody who's getting into Skankfest purely on a tape. <laughs> like not one that I have found yet. Yeah. I mean, that guy's. If I'm wrong, please email me. Send me the one that I'm wrong about. That guy's an idiot. He's a libertarian. It's weird. Yeah. He thinks he's under, he thinks he understands labor and he fucking doesn't because yeah. like, okay. So first off, this kind of reminds me of an argument that gets made, uh, in terms of like keeping Louis CK around and stuff like that, which is like, oh, you know, it's actually pro comic and, and thus mm -hmm. pro labor to like, book louis ck because he got canceled unfairly or whatever a he yeah. didn't he fucking he's a sexual assault guy um and b you're not taking into account like the staff the that works at a fucking yeah, yeah like what do you mean on the other comics yeah. and stuff like that so when people try to frame like comedian stuff like supporting your little entrepreneurial dream to be a fucking artist as yeah. uh pro labor if it comes at the expense of other labor, it's fucking not. Like, it's, it's, it's you, you're a fucking addict. It's you coping with the fact that you yeah. want to be on TV and stuff because you have fucking mental illness or you need to be famous. So, <laughs> I mean, that, in that way, none of this, what's going on at Skankfest is pro labor. It's pro, it's only pro comic, but it's also not pro comic because it's only pro it's the just comics. Pro their friends. Yeah. It's yeah. only their friends. It's only the comics yeah. that have, that A, don't fucking ever fuck with them, don't speak out, are clearly like mm -hmm. afraid to dissent from them. Would that, Follow, yeah. What does that sound like? It sounds like 1984 to me, motherfucker. Like you, all the stuff yeah. that they say Seth Simons is doing to them, they do themselves. And it's also it not. It certainly sounds like the opposite of stand up comedy. Yeah. Because like, you, shouldn't you want different voices and stuff. And like, yeah. I mean, in theory, I should be on that fucking festival and be able to make fun of them and call them rapists and on shit on the stage, festival. Yeah. But yeah. they would, you know, but I mean, but they can't handle it and they want to fight instead. Right. And also, can I just say, like, also, I don't want to be on that fucking festival. <laughs> I'm going to put that out I know, there. I you mean, don't. But can I say, kind of unrelated, but it's like a, a point I think people miss is like, Lewis has lived in New York City for years, 
in the same city as you. And you are both comics, which means you literally both post where you're going to be every single night of the week. And he never, like, it's supposedly he has this, like, he's such a fucking tough guy and he has such a beef with you. He had fucking a year and a half to go find you wherever the <laughs> fuck you were in New York and fight with you, and he didn't fucking do it because he's a pussy ass bitch. Well, the only time he's- he ever did it was when I was going to be at a bar that he knew the fucking and owner of, the and owner, that he knew he would get away. And with. the owner is financially dependent on him, and all his friends would be around. And he got to grandstand about how like this is his territory and you don't get to be there, and. Honestly, the owner siding with him made it clear to me, like, okay, cool. This is not my territory, and I don't get to be here either. Yeah. So, I'm out. I wish yeah. I had known all that shit about that guy before then, because I would have handled things way differently. Because the reason that I, you know, fucking looked around the room and went, hey, Lewis, I'm yeah. not going to fight you and all this stuff is because I respect bars, because I fucking work in them. And yeah. I know you're an asshole if you start a fight, which he was trying to get me to start a fight. He yeah. pushed you and I, and he spat on you and I. But in his yeah. mind, I think that he probably mistakenly was assuming you're only legally culpable if you throw the first punch. I didn't yeah. know this shit either because you learn this sort of stuff when you stuff like this happens to you and you talk to a lawyer afterwards. But I apparently could have taken a fucking swing at him a- after he because spit he on me. Because he started it. Right. Yeah. And then even, yeah. I don't, you know, I, I'm a, I'm not in shape because I'm a good comedian and I'm not practicing <laughs> for fights all day. I'm fucking working on jokes and shit. So, you know, he probably would have killed me or whatever, but he would have then probably gotten in a lot of trouble for it legally yeah. which because th- yeah. what he was trying to do was legally kill me like he was trying to get a, a way to frame things oh jake attacked me and i did this in self-defense or whatever yeah. i know that because i work at bars i deal with people like lewis all the fucking time man. well okay but so check it out so um as somebody who doesn't believe in carcer carceral how do you say that carceral carceral justice you get it yeah Damn, that one you get it <laughs> um I do actually, and like as an anthropologist, I do actually believe in like social justice, right? So like I, I believe that gossip is a valuable form of communication, right? Which sometimes may be malicious, but most often actually communicates information that needs to be shared within an intragroup or like across groups. And, um, I think that in the interim, while we figure out what would be a better system of justice than our jail system, I think social justice in the form of people speaking out the truth of their experiences with others is completely valid. We should be like women should talk to each other about predators that they have dated. People in comedy should talk to each other about people who are violent and who are pieces of shit and we shouldn't be working with. Like stop pretending that it's somehow more professional to never quote gossip about a person. No, we should be keeping each other safe. We should be having these conversations about this is a person you don't want to include and don't even want to gain clout. Yeah. You know, like the fact that we allowed somebody like Lewis to gain clout in comedy is a fucking problem. Well, the fact that people don't understand this is yeah. it's it's white people shit because they yeah. think that if there's ever an actual problem, you're supposed to call the cops and then the cops sort it out. Yeah. And if someone doesn't call the cops, that means it wasn't because it was an actual it wasn't problem. Real. Because yeah. they believe the institution of the yeah. police actually functions and like sorts out disputes and stuff like that in society, which is the thing you can only believe, you know, if you're, if you're white and privileged. Yeah. That's why 
I believe the underground network of information. I believe gossip. I believe the shit that gets DM'd to me from comics who are like unwilling to say shit in public, but they're like, hey, here's something you should know about this person. I believe all I believe all that shit, Jake. That is actual like social interaction in a way that going through the bureaucracy of filling out forms to me is like not even close to this kind of communication in in its like level of genuineness, I guess. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like filling out forms is more performative than having a like behind the scenes conversation about you should know about X. Yeah. Because a behind the scenes conversation is not being seen by anybody except the two people in that conversation. Yeah. So, you know, and they might have their reasons for passing it on, but what you do is collect information from multiple sources. And when multiple sources start adding up about, like, this person's a piece of shit, you believe that. You know, like, you you go with, okay, I should stay away from this person. No problem. It's not about canceling them, but no, no desire to work with them. Um... So, I don't know. I guess I'm just going to end it on we should be encouraging that kind of communication because that is uh, community justice. <laughs> I mean, if you talk to enough people in comedy, yeah. you will put together a picture that Lewis is an abusive asshole and he's violent. Yeah. I know a lot of stories about him because people know that I would find them funny and so they tell them to yeah. me. And he's a dumbass and he's violent and he's dangerous and I wouldn't fucking bring people around him that I was worried for their safety, you know? But, like, but, but, he would have you believe that I'm lying, and if you talk to enough people, you'll get the whole picture, you know? I know, and and I fucking think about the fact that I'm like, if you talk to enough people, like, I love comedy. I love comedians. I treat you all great and fairly. Like, I can't help feeling, Jake, like, if you hear me saying something negative about a comic, like, you should take it seriously, dude. I don't say that. I don't say negative shit about comics almost ever. Almost ever. And I love them and I know them and I'm knowledgeable. Like, I, I'm not a person who only knows 15 comics I can name off the top of my head. I can name 500 comics and I still don't talk about, talk badly about most of them. So if I'm saying something about this person being negative, like, it is offensive to me if somebody I've known for years just doesn't take me at my word. I mean, I've been nothing but consistent with my word. We're talking about a, a guy who is clearly. If you're paying attention at all, like it's not going to be hard to make you understand that he has attacked people and he will continue to attack people. And you got a woman saying, which is extremely taboo thing. A woman's like, this guy put his fucking hands on me that in, in, I would like to think in other social circles would be like a thing where everyone just pricked up right there and went, okay, there's a fucking problem here. That is a fucking deal breaker. That's a, that's a thing that no one puts up with, but comedy is so fucking depraved <laughs> that like, it's insane that like you can just do that and then just get away with it. And no well, because one he has a big fucking following says anything. And right. a big following equals making money for the people who surround him. So those people will protect him because their livelihood depends in part on him. All right. Just like with Louie, man. Yeah. Exactly. Golden golden goose boys. Yeah. Um not to end it in a depressing thing, but I think we should end it there. And also we gotta do a Patreon episode soon, which we will. Yeah, sorry. Hold on. We have so many good emails. We will do a good mailbag soon. Anything else that you wanted to close it out on here? (sighs) I don't know, man. (laughs) I don't know. Um I gotta pee. You wanna think about it and pause? Sure. Okay. Be right back.
Okay, I, yeah, I know how I want to end this. Um, a crackhead once said, addiction is a disease of loneliness. Think about it, man. It'll fuck you up. <sighs> it will, but... <laughs> We're living in a world of loneliness. It's sad. Mm, I know, you're right. And I don't want to start another whole conversation, but I guess... I'm having the trouble of like I don't feel addicted to anything except cigarettes. Yeah, so that's fucked up because I indulge in a lot of other things, but those other things don't keep me from connecting with other people. So I'm not having that. So I don't know. This is all very like <laughs> just like there are shades to addiction. I don't know. It's not. It doesn't expand our point in any way. So please move on. <laughs> okay, fine. I just thought it was this cool sounding quote. I know, and I had to ruin it. I don't <laughs> end things well. Um, no, it's all right, man. I mean, because it's not like. The, the what we're describing is an abstraction of that concept that goes yeah. in a really far direction and i'm not saying that enjoying comedy and liking podcasts and stuff like that is like Bad. smoking crack yeah. well i mean if you're that professor guy it is like smoking crack which means it's fine if you can moderate it and like you know and it doesn't consume yeah. you or whatever and it's also not your fault entirely if it does consume you because you know, uh, we've tragically set up the world in a way that dislocates us all. And so, of course, it's natural. It's a natural tendency that in the failure of liberalism, we gave rise to a creeping reactionary fascism. And and we can understand finding a place where you feel like you belong, right? Yeah. That's but, the thing that fucking killed me about that movie Jojo Rabbit we talked about a long yeah. time ago. Is at one point... One of the characters just t talks to the little Nazi kid and goes like, look, you're not a fucking Nazi. You just want a club to hang out in. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that's what it is, man. I mean, it's, you're both. And isn't that us with comedy? <laughs> we're like, we're not Nazis. We just want to hang out in this club. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what's so fucking tragic about all this is that I understand. And we're just living in a drought of, of this thing and we need it. And yeah. I want the world to be a place where that thing exists and it doesn't come along with, you know, throwing other comics into it like a meat grinder. Because the entire premise of all of this shit is that they're pro-comic, but it's like, I'm a comic, motherfucker. You might not like yeah. me, but like, I'm a person and you're, I'm, you're against me and this is all happening at my expense and if i was well, that's a, what i mean they're lying it's performative yeah it's, it's not, not pro comment it's, it's anti their friends it's yeah. anti any it's fucking it's totalitarian it's anti anyone mm -hmm. that disagrees with it and yeah. if you don't fall in line then you get fucking consumed by it and you know what i am thankful every fucking day of my life that i am a weirdo fucking flop house guy who doesn't have any connections or any fucking you know thing that could be destroyed by this those people committed revenge porn against me and it was it's, it yeah. outed me and stuff people kill themselves over shit like that if i was a you know a person who's not you know living in a certain way and hadn't chosen things that that you know protect me and give me a sense of self yeah. those people could fucking kill somebody you know yeah and it sucks and i just i wish i wish the world you know it was a better place. Like I, this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but also, this is maybe I'm not being that prescriptive. Maybe I'm just looking at this and going, damn, shit's fucked up, you know? Ugh. I don't know. Um, I just, I can't, I can't take it beyond just like everybody needs a place to belong, but it's really weird when the place that you find to belong depends entirely on destroying other people. Like, that's just, 
it doesn't make sense to me, whether it's within a comedy context or outside of it. And I like that's where my empathy stops. I have so much empathy for you to not feel lonely in the world, to not have that feeling that has to be filled in by drugs. And if it is finding the drug or the people who fill it in for you, like I am happy for you to find that because I think that's our entire purpose in life. But I just don't understand how that can connect over to harassing others and destroying others and just being like so hateful. I don't, I don't understand how that empathy doesn't come back the other way. I don't know. Yeah, I think we should just end it on how we don't have a solution here. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, there's no solution just to see the world for what it is and then mm-hmm. and then show other people, you know, and then we're not that big of a community comedy. I mean, if enough yeah. people fucking changed their mind and saw things for what they are, they, this could change pretty easily, but, you know, fucking addicts. I don't have hope. That's why I don't have hope. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, good luck to everybody. Okay, I'm gonna have a white mm. claw then. Yeah. Um. All uh, right. Oh, I'm gonna plug something. I have to. I have uh, casual sets tomorrow slash tonight. If you're hearing this today, Thursday, the 22nd of July, uh, and you're in New York City, we're doing casual sets. We've got a good lineup. It's not predictable at all. <laughs> You'll never guess. <laughs> you will never guess. It's completely all kinds of people that you think I would have canceled, but I didn't. Uh, um, you mean there's not and- there's not nine guys named Mike on it? There aren't. No. <laughs> uh, there's a bunch of different people from different podcasts that are controversial and shit. Um, come by. It's not a It's not a lot. It's 15 bucks. Also, if you're a comic, just like DM me on one of the platforms. I'll put you on the list. Happy to just have comics hanging out. Um, and all the rest of the stuff is whatever in the description. I don't have anything else. You got something? Yeah, I'll be performing at Skankfest South. I'll be <laughs> doing my critically acclaimed comedy special, Nine Mics. It's a spiritual sequel to Neil Brennan's <laughs> Three Mics. And what I do is I set up the nine guys who are all named Mike that they booked on the festival on the stage. <laughs> and I sort of move from one to one, and each one of them has like a different style of, of joke or even just, you know, personal story that I've attached to that mic. The funny thing about this is that, like, they could have <laughs> sorted their performance by last name, and then nobody would have realized how many mics there were, but they sorted their performers by first name, and then it's just, like, literally, like, a giant entire panel of mics. It's so funny, because there's nine mics, and then there's Micah, who's, yeah. like, a lady mic. I know, she's the last mic. She's the last mic. She's a lady mic. Oh, man. I love it. Yeah. All right. No, for real, I'm going on tour with my friend Avery Moore, who's permaband on Twitter, but she's maybe one of the funniest comedians I've ever met. So I I can vouch for her. At this point, working on my material, I'm more confident that Avery will give you a good show. Um, I'm working on mine. (laughs) So at least half the show will be very good. (laughs) Um, But yeah, come on out. My tour dates are pinned to my Twitter and uh, put on my website and stuff, I guess. God, I hate fucking my website. Um, And PDA, plus in a pod name America. That's it. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Oh, no. Whoops. (laughs) (laughs) Don't say whoops.